Welcome to yet another edition of the Third Round Picks Podcast. I am Mike Bibbins, a.k.a. at mbibs or at Bibbs Corner if you just want the basketball stuff. Uh, with me today is my colleague, Max Scouts, uh, Max Levy, a.k.a. Max Scouts. Um, Richard, a.k.a. Mavs Draft, is not with us today. He is still recovering from uh, the the devastating uh, news that we received yesterday. Um, I may also be recovering slightly, but we're, we're going to power through. And also, his, sorry, his, also his vocal cords are recovering from chanting, dirt, 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 10,000 times. Drew's sure, chanting a lot of things last night, but <clears throat> not going not gonna to get choked up here today. Um, so today's podcast, we're going to go into the final four discuss our thoughts on how the games went, and then we'll get into the, the prospects from the games, uh, starting with uh, Cassius Winston working our way to DeAndre Hunter. So, with that said, Max, how did you feel about the way the Final Four played out? Uh, I guess it went how I predicted pretty much, except for at the end, basically Culver was too tired to notice Hunter was wide open in the corner and left him, and that was pretty much the reason Texas Tech lost, because they just could not hang on. I mean, they yeah. had it for about, like, two and a half minutes, and then, like, the second half, like, the guys started fouling out and just things went to shit. Yeah, it was um, – once they went to overtime, I, I had a feeling it was going to be Virginia. Um, Texas Tech kind of put all they had into those last few minutes uh, of the game. Culver did what he did. He stepped up, got a bucket, and then he had a momentary lapse of judgment and allowed Hunter to hit a wide-open three, which is what he does. Um, overall, I think they said the ratings were really low, which actually surprises me. I know the teams weren't exactly the sexiest, but you knew it was going to be a tight game, and it was. Uh, the other games were also tight on Saturday. Um, Basketball-wise, it was kind of like, I mean, I'm a Ravens football fan, so those Ravens-Steelers games where it's like 10 to 13 is the final score, but every single play is intense, That's that's how the tournament played out for me and I enjoy that. It's not the, the offensive loose basketball that everybody seems to love these days, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I'm happy for Virginia with the redemption story um, after having the worst loss in NCAA tournament history to come back the next year and win the championship. That's, that's huge. Yeah. So my, sorry, my big thing with all these sorts of games where it's there's defense first, I don't mind it, but Whenever these teams like Virginia survived off of literally sending two or three guys on screens against Culver every single time. Yeah, those gimmicky defenses is that what you're getting at? Yeah, because like, what else was he gonna do? Pass to Moretti maybe, and maybe he'll hit it. Maybe he won't, and he'll have to try to pass over a defense with so much length. Like, right. the, the it just isn't gonna work. That that's not gonna be a problem in the NBA as much. And number and number two, the, the everyone's acting like this is not really a rant, but I'm just saying my thing. <laughs> everyone's acting like this should really have an effect on Culver Stock when in reality they're not there's not ever gonna be a team that's game planning to stop Culver as the number one scorer, or at least if that's the case, then that's not really a fault of Culver. That's not gonna be a good team. <laughs> yeah. Or if it uh, is, it'll be one of those teams that gets like 45 or 46 wins, and that's it. Right. I think the teams uh, landing four through six or seven would love for his stock to be dropping. I think Dallas would love for his stock to be dropping. 
I mean, it depends on if we if we have a pick. Uh, <laughs> I mean, heck, people were literally talking about Clark in the twenties somehow. So I mean, you never know. What? No, that's like he, it, I can't see it happening. But no, right. I don't think it was happening. It was some like mock draft mainstream media people. So that don't actually watch basketball got it. Yeah, probably. But uh, yeah, that that part of it, that part of it, kind of I didn't enjoy uh, that night. Um, the the overreaction to Covert not being able to score against this gimmicky defense and the overreaction to Hunter playing the literally the best game of his career ever. Um, like, it's clear who never watched basketball during the season. Every game is not going to be the national championship next year for him. That's all I got to say about that. There are a few things to know. I feel like his stock did increase for me, but, in like, obviously, it didn't suddenly go from, like, 10-plus spots, right? Right. But... There are still important <clears throat> things to take away in this game. 100%. But so, are we getting ahead of ourselves? <laughs> we'll get right there in a minute. But I just want to note, this is one of the first games where I really felt we got to see Hunter's complete skill set all in like the same game. Yes, that, that's the key that I took away. is Because, I, I mean, I've watched five, six, seven, maybe t- up to ten Virginia games, and it's like you'll see a flash here and there, but you never got to see everything at once. And uh, it was good to be able to see it all in one package. Uh, and a couple of things that I was really looking for as far as his his personality and ability to rise to the occasion. I was glad to see that as well. But uh, anything else you want to talk about with, like, the game specifically? Uh, no. I mean, you know, it was a grinded-out game. I was glad that Culver did get to step up late. It was. I was glad to see Mooney try to kind of keep the team paced throughout. And I'm ready. Uh, sorry to see Tariq Owens foul out. Like I could see the pain in his eyes when that happened. Um, definitely made me think the game was over at that point. But you know, Texas Tech continued to fight. Um, I, I enjoyed the game. I think Chris Beard will be back. I'll be surprised if he's not. Um, uh, otherwise, I mean, another good NCAA tournament. Not, doesn't feel like it was as upsetty, if you will, as years past. But still, was an entertaining tournament and. Uh, when you have teams like Texas Tech and Virginia who've never been there get to the finals, that's good enough for me. Yeah, and on top of that, I feel like in the national narrative, everyone thinks Texas Tech is a Cinderella story, which is just laughable to me. Right. Like, my, this is just an anecdote. My dad was literally saying, like, yo, Texas Tech, no, he didn't say yo, but Texas Tech, <laughs> the Cinderella story is like, you're like, are you seriously picking them? I was like, yeah, I'm picking them because they got the best player. And I mean, they nearly won. So, I mean, weren't they uh, number one for a while? Doubt it, because the nation seriously underrated them. Like, they never were number one. They never were. The closest they were was when they played Duke, and then they were like eleven, and then they lost, and then they never got like above that number again. I don't think. Adam, I'll, I'll research that. We'll get back to it. But um, regardless, I'm really salty about how that game, the the regulation with Culver having to take this really garbage shot. Like, I wish they had just set up Brandon Francis. Like, yeah, he was feeling it that game. He was he was pulling a Russell Westbrook. Like, he was literally just doing it for Nip out there, and he was this close. I I think you should have given it to him at that point. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to see it go to either Francis or Mooney myself. Um, 
when I when they, when I saw the the horrible play that drew up, first of all, uh, I was confused. Um, I knew it Culver al- couldn't get that yeah. shot off. It almost seems like he um like they wanted some sort of screen to happen and it just didn't happen or something. I'm not entirely sure what the intent was behind that play. Right, and they just never recovered after that. And then he yeah. just had to force the ball in. Yeah. So with, secondary action. Yeah. With that being said, I think the game breakdown is pretty much done with. Okay. So I think it's time to go. Well, we got to. We gonna go to the next game. We want to go into the individuals. Let's go to the individuals, man. All right. So let's hit on all these the guys playing this game. Um, first, I feel like we need to address Jarrett Culver just because everyone's everyone that was like a semi not Jarrett Culver fan was really raking on him. Sort of. And I really feel like the big things that we saw, like the like they were people were criticizing decision making and such, and I'm like, this has been a problem for Cole for all year. And he still was able to execute good passes and he was still able to make an impact on the game, which if if we're comparing to say an RJ Barrett, if RJ Barrett is not scoring and if RJ Barrett's not scoring and he's not creating a, a transition plays, what is he doing? Like maybe he's passing, but what is he doing? Whereas Jarrett Culver, night in night out, is going to make a defensive impact against his position. And I mean, heck, Jarrett Culver is matching up small ball five with Hunter for like half the game. Right. So, and that are you, we're talking about the championship here, right? Yes, but I mean, we can kind of go into the final four generally, but even still, like. Whenever Culver had any chance to match up against a player smaller than him or even equal to his size relatively, he usually did a pretty good job. Like, against Jerome, he gave him trouble. And here's the thing with that. Like, when you're a guy who's the guy, if you will, um, usually, it's first of all, it's going to be rare that you're going to play defense like he did against whoever and play, you know, tough-nosed defense. But when you're having a bad game offensively, it's easier to start pressing in those situations and no other aspect of his game was affected. Like he kept doing his job basically on defense and, and moving the ball around, things like that. Um, He only started to try to do some hero type stuff near the end of the game when it was necessary Uh, or it felt necessary most likely. So that's, that's another thing like the, like, I feel like, Barrett in those situations was more likely to press or try too hard. Yeah, and also the big problem with Barrett is at least with Culver, he's going to try to make something happen for the teammates, and it's not necessarily a fault of Barrett. It's just like a a way of how Barrett plays. He's looking for himself like 80% of the time, and if he's making passes, it's because people are coming up on him and he has to make a pass, like, most of the right. time. Reactionary more than uh, or, intentional. Whereas Culver, he's not necessarily – he doesn't necessarily have to read the defense as much as much as it is they're, like, pre-planned. He has the intent of going with this pass for, like, a little bit earlier. Because, like, some of these are, like, transition plays where he just has to, like, do a little side-to-side move and then just slip it in under the defense. He's very he's very good at execution of the passes he can make, but the problem is that sometimes he makes a wrong read or something like that. For right. example, uh, I remember that pick-and-roll with Owens, 
and uh, yeah. I think his name is Key, that was in the corner, right. guarding the spot up. And uh, Culver thought Key was going to stick to the spot up, but instead Key came to help, like Virginia's scheme would probably call for him to do. And of course, that was a turnover. Right. But I mean, Culver's no point guard, in case you didn't know. But, yeah, but he, but the fact that his mind was already to that next move—that's what you like to see. And that's if you're a Culver fan, you're not a Culver fan because he's a finished product. You're a Culver fan because you see the potential and the rapid growth already. Like, right? Look where he was last year. <laughs> I remember many people talking about him. <laughs> like so. he was basically a, a catch and shoot guy who played good defense. And was semi-athletic, and had size as a guard. And now he's a now he's a wing. And I mean, I guess it's theoretically possible that he has like another growth plate left in him, and he grows like another two inches. If that's the case, it might be his stock would like theoretically go up a lot, in my opinion. Like a six foot nine Jarrett Culver, like a Paul George type. <laughs> yeah, but not as athletic. Right, right, right. Um. So <clears throat> he did have a rough final four. I think that can be acknowledged. Yeah. Um, I think again, like for me, that doesn't really shake me because again, he's playing against two ridiculous defenses that were keying on him. So, uh, and I didn't say he was du- Dwayne Wade back in his senior year when he was killing it in the tournament. Um, so again, I didn't see anything that shook me on how I feel about him now in that Michigan state game. However, his opponent, Cassius Winston, who, uh, really had done well for himself in the first few rounds to improve his draft stock. Uh, he completely disappeared. I kind of want to give him the same excuse, uh, that he was playing against a gimmicky Texas tech defense. Um, but it, it was rough to see him go out like that in his final game. I think the big difference, though, for Winston is that he can actually use the three-pointer as advantage. Whereas Culver, it's like if the three-pointer, it's a cop-out. Yes, yeah, definitely not a shot. Well, unless it's off the catch. Culver off the catch can still be pretty butter. Um, Like, relatively speaking. Because, I mean, he literally did shoot 38% last year yeah like, like his spot up was great but now when he's uh, a primary ball handler shooting it off the bounce not not necessarily his thing yeah and his, i keep i keep saying it look at chris middleton's player development curve from where he was in college and culver's ahead by the way just want to put that out there he's far ahead Middleton like, played three years, right? Yes, Middleton played three years. In his third year, he put up like 13 points a game on 26% from three. And uh, he wasn't, I don't think his passing numbers were as high as Culver's were in terms of like passing assist percentage and stuff. Right. But I mean, I could pull that up. But generally, what do you think of the idea of a Chris Middleton and Jarrett Culver comparison, just looking at how they were and how they are? I, I, I'm not mad at it at the because again I I look at Culver as being a high level number two guy, which is what Middleton is. Uh, I think their games are a little bit different, but the the things that Culver may lack that Middleton has, I think Culver makes up for them with the things that he does that Middleton doesn't. Um, I I, I I'm not mad at that that comparison or the the, the development idea. Either I'm pulling up Middleton's stats now. I just college numbers, the college yeah. numbers. 
Yeah, because I accidentally pulled up his NBA numbers. Um, <laughs> he actually but, had a similar situation uh, as Culver. Oh, he I know. That's why I brought it up. Junior year. Go ahead. That's, yeah, that's why I brought it up. Because, like, Middleton really struggled in his junior year, and he, and he fell all the way to the second round, ended up on the Pistons. The Pistons trade him to the Bucks for chips, and then look what turned in, Middleton turned into. Right. Like... I keep saying it, but Col- the fact that Culver is ahead of Milton on this curve and the big differences with Culver is his finishing ability can really take him to a, number- a next tier. Yeah. Middleton's, let's look at some of Middleton's finishing numbers in the NBA for a minute. Right. So, shooting at the rim, um, the past few years outside of this year, 59%. Fa- last, this year was 59% at the rim. Last year, 63%, 64%, 63, 62. So, whereas Culver's, like, shooting, like, 65% at the rim already? Right. Right? And that's with all this offensive load he's carrying. And the fact that guys can literally camp out in the paint. And also, I feel like Milton's uh, college free throw shooting was still only in the mid-70s. Yeah. That was with an extra year of experience. 75, 78, and 75. Yeah. And and he shot like two a game. 2.6 his junior year before he came out. And Culver hasn't doubled on that one in terms of three throws. Right. Like he's shooting something. Like that's his strength, and that's why I make the stupid comparison of him to Luca is like his craftiness with his handles. Like he's, he's not... He doesn't have the tightest handle. He's not crossing between his legs, behind the back, spin move, has he's none of that. Like, he's going to get you with, like, some little quick head nods and uh, change of, small change of direction type stuff. And then every now and then he'll hit you with a, a spin move you weren't expecting like he did in the, the tournament. But that was set up throughout the course of the game. Like, that's not – he's not doing that every play. Um, and his ability to get into the paint allows him to get to the free throw line twice as much as Middleton did his last year in college and then also allows him to get into the paint to cause the defense to collapse and then he's going to hit somebody uh, in the corner or he's going to hit the big man if his, the big man rotates over. Like that, That's what makes him, in my opinion, an exciting prospect. Yeah, I mean, the like, Middleton's back. Yeah. Boom. Like, Middleton, and when I say Middleton, I'm not saying, like, ceiling comp. That's, like, it's, I mean, it's an upper, it's an upper comp for sure. <laughs> But I could reasonably see like the best seven or so years of Culver's career looking something like what Middleton is doing if he ends up in a similar situation. Yeah, yeah. Like again, I if the Mavs end up in that three four area, I'm I'm excited. I would be excited to bring Culver in. I think it also would be worth looking to see how far you could trade down to get Brandon Clark, though. <laughs> no comment. I mean, I'm just saying. Anyway, um, uh, I think it's time to get on to the other side of that matchup. Okay. DeAndre Hunter. The biggest things I noticed with Hunter were two things. Number one, he always seems like he's hesitant to go for blocks. And he's six foot nine, or like at least six foot nine. He might even he's be, six, be nine six nine. Yeah, he might be, be six. He might be six ten for all I know. Yeah, he looked huge. And he's got a seven foot four wingspan, so he's basically like. Does Covington even have that much arms? I don't believe so. Maybe, 
So you're talking about a bigger Covington on the college floor anyway, and never goes for blocks, it seems. Or in the he did have two blocks in the previous game, but we're talking about in this Texas Tech matchup. It seems like he wasn't really interested in going for help contests at the rim unless it was because, like, he was, like, already there. Like, he wouldn't really leave his corner man that wasn't necessarily a great shooter and ever go for it. And I understand some of that scheme, but, like, sometimes it's like there's no way Bennett would have a problem with this. Right. And, um, by the way, Covington's 7-2 wingspan. Yeah. And I believe Hunter coming into the season was uh, considered a 7-2 wingspan, so I guess he's grown. Well, they said in the national championship game he had a 7-foot-4 wingspan. Yeah, they, they said it multiple times. So, for all I know. <laughs> but uh, I, I think... I mean, it's the, not, it's not, um, it wouldn't be shocking to hear that he grew. Yeah, he's a little old for it, though. Isn't he a sophomore? Well, yeah. He's a li- like a little, not too much. Just a little. But, I mean, Culver grew, so... Yeah, I mean, I think technically you can still be growing until you're at least 23. As well, I mean, Giannis grew to 6'11", so... Yeah. But PG, uh, Paul George grew after uh, he got drafted as well. Giannis is also an outlier case, but, you know. Um, I think the biggest thing with Hunter I wanted to know was... He had a really tough time containing Culver's triple threat moves, and like jab steps, ball fakes, and he had a really hard time containing Culver's spin moves. When Culver decided to attack him, because a lot of times whenever Hunter was on him, Culver would not attack him. Because, well, number one, it was often late shot clock, or it was in a back down situation where floor was crowded. What are you going to do? You can't spin move. You're just going to get stripped. And he doesn't have the quickest release to, like, jab step and shoot over him, really. Yeah, the jab step is mostly just to get him to back up a little, and then you can take him to the rack. Right. Um, but in, its, in exchange, the biggest thing I saw was Hunter. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if the 7'4 wingspan is true. It looks like it. Yeah. And with that being said, Hunter matching up against any player six foot seven or smaller is just going to be a complete nightmare. If if he's not if as long as the guy isn't too athletic, like I would not be surprised if DeAndre Hunter could hold Luca to below twenty five in a game, which not too many NBA defenders can do unless it's because because Luca's missing. Right, and that and that goes back to my scouting of Luca last year when I said the Nassus Antetokounmpo gave him problems. Like, you can imagine, I mean, Thanasis is known for his defense, obviously, and it's because of his quickness and athleticism and then his length. Like, you have to have all three to contain a guy like Luka. And DeAndre is not uniquely athletic, but he's big enough, and he is, uses good he principles. Yeah. He, he has the brain onto the ball. Sometimes it seemed like he made some early decisions and whenever he would go one way before the player even really took a dribble and then he would get blown by like immediately. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I think at a certain point you're talking about a sophomore. So, I mean, you can't go into him too much. And I think the biggest thing is people keep talking about him like he's a really intelligent off-ball player. And I still see significant mistakes in like pick and roll defense. I was going to say defense or offense? And defense. Okay. And, again, 
it, sample size, right? Like it's really hard to find the right instances whenever you're in these Virginia system where everything's very strict. Right. So I'm sure if I asked, I might be able to find these examples. But even then, how much can you take away from like a, a once in a like a blue moon example, right? Exactly. But I remember he didn't really seem to fight through screens. That was a big thing. Like Odie, I remember this pick and roll. It was Cover and Odiase. It was literally in the paint, and Cove and Odiase just destroyed Hunter. And Hunter didn't even try to get around it, even with all his size. He just pretty much like said, "Nah." It, that wasn't it wasn't part like, of the scheme. I don't. Well, no one else came to contest. There was no one else. Oh, gotcha. Like you saw that, right? Sort of. I remember. I think I remember. I think I remember the play. Like I didn't see Diakite come in at him. There was no block. Cover made the basket. Just right. Sort of um, um, I think for me with Hunter, um, and I think even during the game, before the game, a lot of people, I don't see how he's a lottery pick. I don't see how he's a lottery pick, blah, 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 blah. And I'm definitely one of those people. I can't say if he's going to be in my lottery or not at this point. Uh, but I was glad again to just see what people may see that, that they think he's going to be a lottery pick. I still have him as just because I can't base it off of one game, I still have him as a, a high-level uh, 3 and D guy at best. Like, the shot is clearly there. It's legit. Uh, his defense is there. It's legit. He has the, the length and the tools. Uh, but I don't know if you he's, – he's not a guy that I don't – like, he's not a guy I don't think that you can give the bucket – the ball to and, and expect him to go get a bucket. Um, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be creating for anybody. So – uh, I don't know how high, and again, this is an interesting draft where a lot of role players are going to go in the lottery. Like a lot of guys that you know are going to be role players are going to go in the lottery, and so if, if that if he's a lottery pick by that sense, then yes, maybe. But uh, as far as him being a guy that's going to be a star in the league at some point in time, I definitely don't see that. I'm not sure if that's what anybody thinks, um, but we'll see. All right, so. Another thing I wanted to put up. So, uh, we got he the, the it's even worse with the spin move because another time Culver, he just kind of put his back into him and did like a half spin move and just kind of didn't go. He just like tried to see if he could get a fake and yeah. Hunter bit so hard on that fake that they were able to set up a pick and roll and have Owens dive to the rim for an easy dunk with Hunter being completely destroyed by the Odiasi screen because Hunter like literally sunk like an entire like six inches back and he couldn't get recovered. A lot of anticipation there. I'm not sure if it's anticipation or just like wrong, poor decision making or whatever, or just ended up being bad luck. I don't think it's bad luck because I mean, he really, he really got got by like a fake spin move basically. And he like I felt like he sunk back like literally six inches, and then he sat there for like a whole like half second. That half second made the difference. Bang bang play. He can't get to over the screen in time. He's done. Another time he gets screened out of a play by Matt Mooney of all people. I'm like, what? You re- do you remember that play? I haven't marked. I don't remember that one. I'm, I don't remember that one. Um, yeah, but is this like so? You're noticing a, You notice the trend of him not fighting through screens. Is what I'm hearing in this game. But it's partially that it was also I think it might have been because they were trying to have Diakite go after the bucket, but he didn't really go in at him either. And Culver basically got a got a free foul at the rim after the after a switch onto 
uh, I think it was Guy or Jerome, and he took okay. it to the rim pretty much one on one. He there was it was a more open space that time. Gotcha. Okay. Also, another thing, uh, there was a couple of times where I saw him like hesitate to finish at the rim, either because he had he felt like the need to switch to his right hand. Yeah, I think or, first play of the game, he missed a layup, didn't he? Yes, and another time, he also just kind of double pumped it in the air because he wasn't confident getting it off in time in the first, like because he was afraid of yeah something an incoming contest that wasn't actually there, and just right. like those little things really do concern his offensive development. I think the big thing for Hunter <laughs> that brings him into that top ten discussion is going to be if you think he can be a lockdown guy on the perimeter which he has the potential to be. Okay. But I think, we haven't seen it yet in terms of seeing a guy with that sort of handle to where you could really say, this is the sample where we saw Hunter lock down X. Right. And, uh, I mean, people are giving it to him for Culver, but a lot of that was Culver locking himself down. Trying not even to. locking himself down, being in a bad spot. And yeah. just not his game not fitting well to the situation. Like Basically, he was being asked to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do. Well, being asked to do like, things late, that he late can shot do. Clock. Yeah. He can't do them, but like late shot clock against that defense, like he's basically having to break down the entire team. Yeah, because like the other option is pass to Moretti. Right. And uh, by the way, you still got to get that pass through with how crowded that lane is. Not a good exactly. look. Exactly. So um, <clears throat> oh, I lost my thought. I completely lost my thought. Oh, uh, I just wanted to use to say final note. Anytime DeAndre Hunter just kind of sticks his arms up whenever he's guarding his man, like on a drive, and like puts like his right hand up on the outside, and like it just completely shuts down any chance of a shot, like ninety nine percent of the time. <laughs> uh, that's that's where I wanted to go. So with Hunter, um, he was still being his tentative self, I believe, in the first few games of the tournament. I think. He had a Trey Jones situation where the coach was like, we need you to actually try um, to be aggressive offensively. And he did that. And it's like, um, that's another reason I can't, like, again, that Trey Jones game where he actually was hitting hitting threes, I couldn't buy into it. And I feel kind of, again, the same way about DeAndre being aggressive. Again, it was good to see that he is actually capable of it, but it's, like, how, does he need the extra motivation to get there is the question. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think any imp- other important notes. I guess the one big thing for me was any t- pretty much any time outside of that Zion block we saw on Hunter. Um, Hunter doesn't really need time to get his shot off as much as he needs space. So, like, if a player is closing out on him, he's going to be able to get his shot off. But the bigger problem is if a player is already in his face and he, like right. they're just like a step off and he has enough space to get like to take the shot. But when they're already within arm's reach and he's being pressured, it feels like there's it's significantly more difficult for him. And also on his pull up drives, um, a lot of his misses where it seems short, his, he would go he would be already going up for a shot before his second foot was on the ground. Interesting. Um, I think what I noted most about, again, the, the offensive game is like, I don't think he has any ability to take anybody off the bounce. Not unless it's a center. 
Right. And even like, and even then, he might hesitate because I don't think he trusts his handling. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is how confident is he in that in anything outside of like what he knows is his game. Like how that's confident true. is he doing something different? Right. And I think that's that's the key for me in holding back on him as his upside. Um. I think we've kind of beat DeAndre here. Yeah, we, DeAndre Hunter is to a dead horse. I just say this. If you think he can be the premier lockdown guy who can actually like be the Kawhi Leonard defensively, then he's probably a top like five pick in this draft if you think he's that. I'm not – if you think he's that. <laughs> I think he's probably mid, mid first is my well, – well, do you Not think good. he can be Kawhi Leonard, I guess? Because I don't no. think he can. But I'm just no. saying, if you think you're, he's that, then you pick him there. I understand that. I, I hear where you're going. But, uh, yeah, yeah but I think anyway. that, that's what you have to think to take him there. Um, I will also add, as we transition, that I think he benefited a lot from playing with a guy like Ty Jerome. Yeah, I think he could benefit a lot from having just playmaking on his team. He's gonna, he might have a hard time developing his offensive game and just his confidence without it. Like if he ends up in like a Phoenix or something with like a mid first round pick somehow, <laughs> that's not gonna be ideal. Nope, he's gonna be, be disappear pretty quickly. But if he ends up in Atlanta, things could get interesting. Yeah, the big problem with Atlanta is I think it might be a little bit too much pressure for him. Because Trey Young, well, well, think about it. Atlanta is about to might take that leap. I think they might make the playoffs next year if they can. Cause oh, wow. They might because the, it's the Eastern Conference, so yeah. everything's up in the air at a certain point. You have these guys gaining another year of experience, and right. on top of this, you, they really do have a really nice young core. Whereas, you know, some other teams in the East are getting older. There's free agents that might be leaving soon. Slash, like, yes. Also, Kevin Love situation. Who knows what's going on there? Um, yeah, the East is kind of a big like mess. And okay. if anyone's going to take it over, it's going to be a team with that has a Trey Young and has Kevin Herter and and has, potentially maybe adding two more top ten picks. Hopefully not. <laughs> Just say. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, I think we need to move on to the previous games because we still need to discuss like one other guy, I believe. Do we? Yeah, Ty Jerome. Oh, Ty Jerome. That touch. So what are your favorite things about Ty Jerome? Touch playmaking from a standstill and in space. But in a crowd, his he just can't seem to create his own space. And unless he's like on a baseline drive where he can use that little nice slip under the defense, bounce pass to a big man or a wrap around, he's just not going to be able to get ahead. He, he just you can't even really get ahead of Steen going to the rim. I think so. What I like about him in that aspect, or in his offensive game that you haven't already touched on. He's very, very opportunistic. Like, if you give him a lane, he will take it. Yes, but the problem is he never seems to create his own lane. And that's obviously, I love Ty Jerome as much as the next guy. I He could be a potential first-round pick, and I honestly wouldn't even mind it from a few teams. But it's just these are questions you have to ask. Yeah. Like, he's not a guy that's going to be like a – he's a dying breed, I think, one of those true point guards. Um a Jose Calderon type uh, that 
you know you can give the ball to it. He's going to take care of it. You know he's going to run the offense. Uh, he's going to make sure guys are where they're supposed to be, all those things. Um, he, he'll hit an open jump shot. He'll uh, slip to the basket if he, again, given a lane. He'll get into the paint, get a guy on his back, keep him there uh, to, to, to mess up the defense. Like, he, my projection for him, why I think he has a good chance of getting drafted, he's a safe backup point guard type. In my opinion, he's a safe playmaking combo guard type, but just in you certain matchups. Certain matchups. Six foot five. Okay. I mean, I know he's has... speaking defensively. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as he's not matching, well, in some teams are playing like six foot three two guards. So. Okay. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not more matching up. Athleticism aspect. Oh no. Well, if if he's matching up against like Paul George or whatever, then no. But if he's matching up against, um, trying to think of like um, Bogdan or whatever, Fournier, Fournier, like there's there's going to be matchups where you can play him with the two, okay. and just he's going to be that one two play like playmaking guy. He's going to move the ball, but he's never going to create his own offense necessarily. And I think it's worth noting, Calderon's probably a bit quicker. So Colorado could at least has that going for him, but at least Ty Jerome has the size. And also I don't think Colorado had this sort of touch the, the floater, his ability to just kind of throw it up there, get it over the defense. And I, I mean, I could go more serious into this about how just like it, he all he's, he's very consistent with his accuracy. It's never like he just kind of flings it. He's always finding the right opportune moments where he can get a little bit of space. And then it's just like, how are you going to get blocked a shot? Even though he only has a six foot two, 2.5 wingspan he still finds a way to get it done night in night out i would say young young calderon like back when he was killing it with the assists and pistons was one of my favorite point guards in the league yeah yeah that would be he was he had two stints with the pistons so first pistons yeah. yeah or raptor was he yeah i think he's straight with he was definitely a raptor at some point but i think that was a bit older but uh I'm up his stats now yeah, anyway, he was a shooter, but anyway, um, anything else to know in that game specifically, I guess, we did, did we go over Kyle Guy in here? Do we want to go over Kyle Guy? <laughs> no, I don't think so. All right, moving on then. Um, uh, Michigan State, there's no one else really unless you want to talk about future prospects, which I guess I don't think so, though. No, no. Okay, and then that leaves Auburn, so uh, Harper, yes, Harper. Yep, he, he he has declared. And good for him. I'm sure someone in Europe is calling him. <laughs> I mean, um, he might get picked, a... but I wouldn't bet on it. I don't expect him to get picked. I think he'll be a, one of the guys to get an early call in the summer league to see what he does and see what happens. Um, for whatever reason, every year, small point guards like him end up on two ways, so I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, just for, like, point guard depth for a team. I mainly say Europe because I think someone might throw him some money. I was gonna say you now Europe that he could definitely go that route if a team is like Alpha in a bag. I mean, Tony um, Carr went to Syria this year, so yeah, like he's like if he goes to Europe, like I could see him being an impact guy right away. By the way, I, we need to do a check in on Tony Carr for the sake of it because I like Penn State. I could couldn't stand Tony Carr, but go ahead. Well, I'm not like a big Tony Carr fan. I just like Josh Reeves. 
So by default, I have to like Tony Carr, even though I don't really have an opinion on him. Okay. So we just need to Google this really quick, and then I'll take it out. Okay. All right. Um, international stats. So Tony Carr this season has been shooting 36.6% from three on four attempts, shooting only 40% from the field on 10 and a half attempts. So he's been struggling from two, but he's also taking six two-pointers a game. Eight, uh, Syria, so Italy. And also Euro Cup. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Um, he played significantly better with Fiat Torino than he did with Red October Cantu, so it appears he moved in and that would helped him a lot. So if we're looking only at a sample with Fiat Torino, he shot way better. He shot forty four percent from three in sixteen games, forty three percent from the field. But he really struggled in Euro Cup play. Yeah, I see that too. Okay. That's not ideal, but the Italian league is still one of the better leagues in Europe. So there's a couple prospects there. Not, I don't think it's in first league. I'm pretty sure he's in second league though. So, but there's still a guy to watch in there. So we'll be getting one of those there. I see you soon. Um, so yeah, maybe Tony Carr can one day get back to the NBA. Can only hope. Also, for, very good. Good luck to you. In your yeah, guy. he's not even really my guy. I got gotcha. you. He's the friend of my guy. But uh, with that, it's been another episode of the Third Round Picks podcast. You can find our other hosts on Twitter, Mavs Draft, uh, Richard Stamen, at Mavs Draft, MavsDraft.com. Um, we'll be reunited with us in the podcast soon, especially now the Mavs season is over, so he's got no more Mavs tickets to go see. No more <laughs> crying over Dirk. Well, he probably still will be crying, and I, I will be too. And Bibbs will be too. Especially as we're recording this on the during his last game. Um, so, uh, Dirk, we love you, Dirk. Literally, if 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 Zion Williamson could turn into Dirk the human, because it's possible, he literally seems to have one of the best personalities I've ever seen. Very humble kid, despite everything. Him and Giannis. That's my guy, man. And I mean, well, as soon as this buzzer sounds, Giannis is my guy. <laughs> well, I mean, you can have more than one guy, as far as I'm concerned. So, nope, Derek is my guy right now. Giannis well, the buzzer is about now. the buzzer sounding in about an hour and a half. So, by the time this too. podcast airs, Giannis will be my guy. Yes, I'm waiting on that Giannis fan account. But uh, <laughs> um, you can find Bibbs Twitter uh, basketball related only at Bibbs Corner and BibbsCorner.com. And you can find his regular Twitter, Adam Bibbs, for the Netflix things. Uh, anything new to report on that end at Hidden Remote? Uh, not right now. Not right now. All right, cool. We'll keep that under wraps. And then on my end, uh, I'm still at Max Scouts. Um, work on LockDraft.com, which at this point, uh, in terms of new stuff, I wish I could say I could be writing new stuff, but good God, exam season is about to just kick my ass. So... Don't miss those days. Yeah, and then after exam season, I'm going to start writing like madmen. I'm just going to be staying up till like 2 a.m. every day, even though it's the summer, just writing as many pieces as I possibly can. And God damn it, I will stick to that. Um, yeah, 
And then also I should have a Mavericks piece coming out about the G League players, and also I might do a free agent breakdown or two, especially after signings, and I'll see if I can get a couple done in terms of who I would want to come here outside of big names because I feel like those names have been played out. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a couple things real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bibbs Corner, I should be – I'm a year late on my uh, 2013 class revisited piece. I'm going to be dropping that. And then I'll go back to the the 2014 one will come out as well. Um, the guys, where I had them ranked, who I was completely off on, who I was right on, all that good stuff. So, and who you didn't know about? Yeah, because I mean, back in those days, I was scouting like 35 people, and so like there there were guys that were first round picks that I'd never even looked at. So, at some uh, point, you're gonna get to see the Pascal draft, and you're gonna write like an entire page just about how you completely <laughs> missed Pascal. Yeah, I don't which... even, again, I don't even think I looked at him. So. Yeah, but again, we're everybody's gonna miss on people. I mean, heck, I was when was Pascal get drafted? Was that 2016, 2015, mm, 2016, right? Must have been 16. Yeah, 16. So that was whenever I was I like, a free agent. <laughs> I was like 15, 14 years old at that time. So I literally didn't know anything. <clears throat> I didn't even know who Ben Simmons was. So I have no right to talk as far as that's concerned. <laughs> Yeah, it should, should be interesting. Should be interesting. Yeah. I enjoy going back and calling myself out for my my terrible takes, and uh, of course patting myself on the back for the good ones. And also finding a way to refine your process, which we're gonna get into some of refining our process this uh, upcoming in between season, where we just kind of have like a week or two where we can't really talk about draft things because we're just kind of waiting on things to happen. So Big we'll be coming. on the lookout for that. Big boards, of course, but that's a little bit more away. <laughs> and, it's less than a month now. Less than a month out. Oh my god, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what to do at a certain point because, like, I'm like, what am I gonna do for like 15 to 25? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, next episode we're gonna get all these smaller names coming out for y'all that we missed on or we've talked about but didn't really talk about because of uh, various inconveniences and how time is limited. So be on the lookout for that. In particular, um, some guy headliners, Xavier Johnson, will be featured in that episode. Some people are really big on him, and rightfully so. Um, as well as John Conshar, who I've seen in discussions as being a legitimate first-round pick by some of the more savvy people of draft Twitter, who I do to in some extent uh, – if, well, I com- that's wrong to say. I completely trust their opinion, but at the same time, I need to make my own, obviously. Yeah, that's why I try not to pay too much attention to what other people are saying, because I want to try to not be influenced. But, I mean, you have to listen to a few just to make sure you're not missing anything. Yeah, you have to make sure you find out who's who, and Stepien's not going to miss anybody, pretty much. Because they're, like, one of the best out there. They're up and coming. And Lock Draft is also up and coming, too, so... We got we're gonna have plenty of stuff coming for y'all soon, and also I've been featured on their most recent podcast, and I think we're gonna start doing that more consistently where I'm on it. So be on the lookout for that. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. With that being said, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. Uh, and uh, if you have any feedback for us, we greatly appreciate it. We're always looking for ways to make this better, and this is all the process. So with that being said, peace.